So my twin brother was doing worship, and uh, they asked me to do the teaching, so here I am. Uh, Pastor Greg and the family were away at a, a family thing, and I heard they had a, an amazing time. And um, so you got me. Um, so why don't we turn in the book of Nehemiah? We are going to read Nehemiah chapter 1. We'll actually, a little bit later, go into a little bit of chapter 2. But um, for right now, let's read Nehemiah chapter 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. It came to pass in the month of Shislev, in the twentieth year, as I was in Shushan, the citadel, the Hanani, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The survivors who are left from captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who, you, who love you and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now day and night for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. We've acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinance which you command your servant, Moses. Remember, I pray, the word that you command your servant, Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the farthest part of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Now these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. O Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name. And let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. So the backdrop of our story, as as many of you know, is um, the temple has been rebuilt um, in Jerusalem. And so at this point, the temple is operating basically in, in compromise. You know, um, the, the temple's been built, but there's no walls that are protecting it. And we know walls are a protection um, in those days. We don't see it as much, even though there might be current events that could, we could go in that direction, but we're not going to go in that direction today. Um, maybe, we, yeah, we need a little bit of break, don't we? Um, but uh, but these, the temple was basically in operation with no protection. The enemy was coming in and out as they pleased at will. Um, and so the, what is applicable, honestly, about this, t- 
temple is operating in, in, in good fashion. Um, the enemy has made its way into the temple. Um, there's no walls that are protecting it. There's, there's nobody to stand at the gate and to um, decipher or to segregate those who are uh, of the world versus those who are of the body of Christ. Um, we've been infiltrated by wolves. We see that, you know, how often are we seeing that um, stories of these churches and pastors who basically aren't churches and aren't pastors. And we, can, we don't have to go down that road either. Um, but we've also seen the church become very feeble, very anemic, um, very powerless, um, sad to say. And I'm talking about the church at large. I'm not trying to hammer us here. Um, but we see that. We see that there's people who are more followers of man than they are of God. Um, and it's taken this global phenomenon for the church to be woken up. Um, and we've seen um, in some areas, and I know that we all have friends outside of this church who go to other churches, and some churches have died. Some people haven't been back to church. There's been a falling away, um, really. And that's not to judge them, um, but they're neglecting what God has called them to do. That's why we've stayed open for as long as we have when we have, and that's not any judgment for people who hadn't been coming. But our heart was that we were not to neglect the assembling of ourselves. There's purpose in it. There's a reason for it. And so in that, we're seeing that, that this global phenomenon, there's a refining that's happening. But if we can be honest with ourselves, we still have been operating in a, a wallless church in this country. So what I mean by that is that we, as a church, have allowed prayer to be taken out of schools. We, as a church, have allowed the murder of unborn children. We, the church, have allowed there to be marriage and gender and bathroom confusion. Um, we have allowed there to be a confusion of purity within the church. Um, I know several people who go to a church, and it's not this one, who are living together and claim to be Christians. And that's, again, none of the things I'm saying is judgment. This is, this is truth. We're here to, to give truth. It doesn't line up with the word of God. Um, there's sexual impurity that goes on in the church. There is um, a, a lack of heart of God in the church for holiness. We've allowed this. Can we say amen to that? Sadly, amen. We have, you know. And the problem is, is that we're looking more like the world. And you see it, that people are, they're appeasing and they're feeding their flesh more than they are the spirit. I think that's one of the, the blessings of our church, Calvary Chapel in general, is that they feed you the word of God. It's almost like you don't even have to do anything. <laughs> you know, you're getting fed the word. Um, but obviously we want more than that. I mean, if this is all you're getting during the week, you're anemic, you're feeble. I say that in love. Because this should be just a, an additive. This should be the icing on the cake, really. I don't know if it's going to feel like it after this message, but um, no, I'm just kidding. It's not going to be that bad. Um, but the problem is, is that we've, we've become 
what's comfortable to us. We fit God into a box. We compartmentalize him. We say, okay, I have time for God. Let me look at my schedule. Do you know if that was our heart? And I, I, I'm, uh, I'm not going to preface everything I say because I do mean this in love and I'm speaking to myself as well. If, if that's how we operate, we would be one of those who were in the wilderness just walking around aimlessly. How can I fit God into my schedule? How can I make God convenient? How can I do church conveniently for me? You know, hopefully this isn't the case, but even with our announcement this morning for needed help, some churches people would have left. Oh, how dare he? How dare they demand me to do more? Don't they know? Or I'm here to be whatever the excuses can be, where they are. And honestly, the the challenge is that um, that ought not to be. What are we surrendered to? We're surrendered in the church. We're surrendered more to our own wills than to the will of God. Some of this comes from that idea that, you know, we're not sold out for Jesus. We're not denying ourselves. We're not picking up the cross. We're not following. We think we are. And it's tough. You know, I've been blessed most times in my life by a brother coming up to me, holding up the mirror and showing me who I really was in love. And I've always welcomed that from brothers in my life. And hopefully you do that too with people in your life to say, if you see something in me, please, please bring it to me. Please tell me. How else will I know? How else will I grow? We should all have that heart. The Holy Spirit should be working in us in that way. We're so easily offended or don't want to offend. You know, it's funny coming from the north and to the south, there's a little bit of a difference in terms of etiquette and how things are done and um, communication styles. And uh, I find myself sometimes struggling with, well, why, isn't, why don't we just say this? Well, you really shouldn't say it that way. Or you can't say that to a woman. Or you can't, you know, don't you know that that would be, and it's like, oh, these rules, like I don't want rules. I'm not trying to be mean. Hey, this needs a change. Yeah, but women don't take it that way. Can you tell I've had a conversation with my wife uh, sometimes about things? Um, but, and guys can be the same way. I'm thankful that with the, most of the men we have here, as I look around, are guys that receive things. They're humble. They love the Lord. Um, and that's a blessing. So, looking at this, this is the status of our, of our body, the body of Christ in, in, the, in the world. Um, and so, looking at that and looking at the parallels of this, you know, the blessing is that praise God for his Hakaliah, praise God for his Nehemiah, and praise God for his Hananiah. And I'll, I'll develop that a little bit more in a little bit, but let's go back, let's read just the first three verses again. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. It came to pass in the month of Shislev in the 20th year as I was in Shushan, the citadel, that Hananiah, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah. And I asked him concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and its gates are burned with fire. So just to get an understanding of where we are chronologically, if you would, and Hercules, if you could put that slide up, 
Um, because, you know, as we know, the Bible's not chronologically placed. The books aren't placed in order. Um, but Nehemiah is actually the last book of the Old Testament chronologically in terms of the history. Um, and I just put it here just so we can see, get it more of a, a feel for, for where we sit. So if we look at Ezra 1.1, and that's 538 BC, BC, we know that Ezra was the one that was, you know, part of the group that went to rebuild the temple. Um, and then Haggai, right after that, so about 18 years later, um, which is one of my favorite books, Haggai, he was a prophet that was sent, if you remember, because they became idle. They started the work, they got overwhelmed, and then they stopped. So Haggai was sent by God, and he said, hey, consider your ways. You guys are sitting in nice houses while my house is in ruin. Consider your ways. I don't know if you remember that teaching, but the word consider was a compound word from God that means consider, think, grab hold of, grasp, take violent hold of this concept I'm telling you in your inner man. That's consider. Isn't it interesting how we have words and just like, oh, that's a word, but when you look at consider, God, that's what God's saying. He's saying, I want you to hear me with the violence of like you are grabbing a child who is falling off a cliff and you're grabbing them with intent so they don't fall. We don't, if, if we're going to do that passively or just in our own timing, that child is dead. There has to be that, maybe violence isn't the right word to be used in that scenario, but it has to be. There has to be the urgency, grab hold of what I'm telling you, not just in your mind, in your inner spirit. That's what Haggai was sent to, to tell the children of Israel. And to be reminded, and if you're obedient, I will be your God, you will be my people. God reminds us of that all the time. Isn't that amazing? You know, I hear a lot of people who say, well, God did this to his people. God did that to his people. I say, no, no, no. For much more did he say, please don't. Please stop at the stop sign. Don't go through that yield sign. Listen to what I'm telling you. I beg of you, please don't. There's going to be consequences. I love you with an everlasting love. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. God's too much for me. I don't, I don't want to hear him. I, I, I want to do it my way. I want to I just, you know, if the opportunity is right and I'm forced into it, I, that's when I want to serve or to give the gospel to somebody. So Haggai was sent to um, restart, to ignite the, the, the temple to be rebuilt. And then we see Zechariah, which is in the same month. So Haggai and Zechariah were operating at the same time. While Ezra and those, that group, um, Jeshua, Zerubbabel, were building the temple. Zechariah, if you remember, one of the most famous verses of Zechariah is where he says, this is not going to be done by might nor by power, but by the Spirit, says the Lord. That whole, that verse is in context of rebuilding the temple. They were overwhelmed and overloaded by the job that had to be done. The cleanup, the destruction. If you all remember, you know, the, what happened at 9-11 and how long it took for that to be cleaned up with mechanized tools and, and um, utilities that they used to do that. So the, the destroyed temple was in that same light, in that same idea. So they were overwhelmed by it, understandably. Some of us, we just walk into our dining room, we're, we're overwhelmed, right? There's too much stuff, there's piles, ah, it's too much. You can get through it, not by might, not by power, but by God's spirit. Um, you know, and that's funny too, because uh, I remember a pastor saying that, you know, it takes more of the Holy Spirit for him to do the dishes than it does for him to teach on Sunday mornings. And um, I think about that every time I'm doing the dishes, honestly. Uh, which is funny, but there's truth to it, right? Sometimes it's easier. Sometimes it's easier to do what I'm doing right now 
than it is to do the things like, I just, I just washed that. Why is, this, why is this dirty again? It should be another month before this plate gets used again. Um, anyway. So that was Zechariah 1. That's in 520. So Ezra uh, 6.5 tells us it's, it's in 515 B.C., and that's when the temple uh, was completed. So we have this break here um, of, you know, 70 or 80 years between Ezra and Nehemiah, where we are now. So Nehemiah 1, 1, 444 BC. Um, and then just to show you, we're not going to read all the way to Nehemiah 13, 6. Um, and the congregation says amen. Um, is that it took... So it took 52 days for Nehemiah and for them to rebuild the walls, which is amazing. It's a work of God. 12 years later is when Nehemiah goes back to the king. And we'll look at that uh, in a little bit as to um, what, you know, the, the importance of that. So I don't know if you're like me. Sometimes I need to visually see, okay, what's the context? Why is this book after that book? And though it's, you know... Esther's before this. Actually, Esther goes Esther, Ezra, Nehemiah. Why is, why is Esther after Nehemiah, you know? And why is Malachi at the end, the last book of the Old Testament? So anyway, um, just gives you a little bit of a glimpse of where we are. So right now we've been reading about the temple is at this moment built, but the walls are sitting in destruction. Um, so we're also introduced to Nehemiah, and I said, you know, thank God for Hekeliah and Nehemiah and Hanani. Hekeliah means Jehovah enlightens. So praise God for God's enlightenment. Um, Nehemiah means Jehovah comforts or comforter. And then Hanani, who's his brother, even though it says in chapter 1, says one of my brethren, actually in chapter 7, I think it is, where he actually says it, it's, Hanani is his brother, but Hanani means grace. So, we praise God for his enlightenment, for his um, comfort, for his help. You know, comforters also translate as helper, um, and for his grace. So one of the things is that looking at this, you know, this family, names mean a lot. I'm sure, you know, you've all been named for a reason or a purpose, and we name our kids for a reason or for a purpose. Um, my mom said that I was named after William the Conqueror. Um, not sure, you know, means bold protector. I'm not sure what exactly I've fulfilled in that role at this point or if it's yet to come, I don't know. Um, but that's, you know, we all have purpose in why we are named what we are named. Um, and so in that, I would, I would, my own speculation is that this was a godly family. Um, and just because of how Nehemiah responded when he heard the word of, of what happened to uh, what's going on in Jerusalem with the people first, if you remember that, he was, he was distressed by what he was hearing about the state of the people and of the walls uh, of the temple. Um, so I think it's important for us to just stop there for a moment and just realize that, you know, in some way and somehow it's been instilled in Nehemiah to have this heart for the things of God and to be a godly man. Um, you know, in a lot of ways, that's not usually something that just comes out of nowhere. Now, some of us do have testimonies that we grew up in families that were, you know, that we, we weren't saved, our family wasn't saved, and God grabbed a hold of us, and that's awesome. That's an awesome story. Um, more so in, in the Jewish tradition, um, uh, in those days, it's something that would have been passed along. So if there was an adult that had that heart of God, it's more likely that that's been passed on from generation to generation. 
Um, so the importance of that is that, you know, we all know this too, but it's always have a good reminder that our home should be a godly home. You know, it should be nurturing in the things of God. It should be a godly environment. Um, to have that reverence and that admonition for the things of God. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 says this, and you know this, this is the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. You know, there doesn't leave a lot of room there, does it, for when we shouldn't be talking about the things of God? Um, Deuteronomy 4, 8 and 9 says this, And what great nation is there that has such statutes and righteous judgments as are in all this law which I set before you this day? Only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. And teach them to your children and to your grandchildren. We all have that responsibility um, to, to do that. And the, the blessing of it is that maybe for some, you know, I've been trying to do that, you know, and it's, it's been going okay. Or, or you know, um, my, my kids aren't walking, but I'm, I'm trying to, you know, pour into my grandchildren, whatever it is. The blessing is that every moment is the moment to change. Every moment is the moment to start, to make a difference. You know, this is what we're called to do. Um, you know, my mom has, has said to me when I, my mom and I had a strained relationship. <laughs> she was the disciplinarian and I was a rambunctious kid. Um, and so uh, her and I didn't get along well for a lot of years. And there was a lot of tension. There was a lot of things. And, and as the Lord was walking me through some things of my life. You know what? My mom and I became very close. And he healed parts of our relationship. And part of that was forgiveness. You know, I had to forgive her. How dare I? Well, I had to forgive her. You know, and one of the things as we were working through some things, and she says, and she still says it usually every once in a while though, but she says, you know, we're all sinning children of sinning parents. I didn't do it perfectly, but I did my best. But now's the time to change whatever we need to change. And maybe you have, you're, you're great. Maybe you're, I don't, I'm not saying that facetiously or, or um, sarcastically, but maybe things are going well. But there's always an area where we can do better. There's always something that we can do that just goes an extra step. Um, you know, it, I think everybody thinks they're unique, but nobody is unique in the sense of we all had a dad that was too strict or passive. We all had a mom who was domineering and, and manipulative or was non-existent. We all have something that we can say, you know, well, my dad, point to my dad or my mom. And, and though there might be reasons that, yes, you do this because of that, but we are responsible. We are absolutely responsible. It doesn't matter what someone does to you. We are responsible. Yeah, but he, he did this to me. It, Jesus was beaten and they couldn't see where the, the, the beatings were coming from. His beard was ripped out from him. These are all things that we have to stand before God, right, and say, yeah, but, 
We think we are anyway. Some people think they are. They're going to stand before an almighty God and say, well, here's the reason why I was this way or that way. And God's going to say, no, no, you're responsible for you. One of the things, and they had to deal with this in, in uh, the Old Testament as well, Jeremiah 31, 29 through 30 says, In those days they shall no more, they shall say no more, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. But everyone shall die for his own iniquity. Every man who eats the sour grapes, his teeth shall be set on edge. So the idea is that we all have to take responsibility. We have to stop the blaming. We have to stop the excuses. And I think we all have plenty of them. I'm, I'm in that boat as well. But the time is, is now. Like we can take the time now and say, you know what, I, you're right. Some of us have a hard time, especially with spouses. You know, it's, it's a very difficult thing to give preference to the other um, in, in the sense of being right. Well, they, they always have to be right. So I have to, I, that's why I fight, because I always, well, no, no, no. Even if that is the case, that's, I'm still called to be at peace. I'm still called to forgive. I'm still called to turn the other cheek. I'm still called to go the extra mile. It doesn't matter what someone else is doing to us. We're the ones that need to step up. So the time is now, right, to change those things. If, it's, if you're in a family situation like that, now's the time. Whatever needs to be fixed and forgiven, do it. Put your sacrifice, put your gift to the altar and run and go do it. Take care of business. For the health of you and for the health of them, you're going to bless that person by doing that. Whether they know it or not, maybe they don't even want to be blessed by it. Maybe they don't even think that they're in the wrong. But some, it, mostly it's in your own spirit. Say, so, you know, I forgive. My father passed away. I've, I've had to forgive him for many things uh, more recently and he passed away when I was 19. So it doesn't matter if the person's there or not. You know what? Dad, I forgive you for this. And you know, please forgive me. There's something that happens with that exchange. You know, the Lord says, if, you know, I'll forgive you if you forgive others. So we have that as our example. So, um, and you know, one thing too, it's very easy that fathers and mothers, you know, the biggest ministry for a husband and wife is your husband and wife. I hope everyone understands that. Even if you have children, your husband, your wife, they are your biggest ministry. They are your most primary ministry. The the kids are secondary. That doesn't mean they're second-class citizens because you know they take up more most times than, than your spouse does. But your biggest ministry is your children. If there is an imbalance, if there is something that is unhealthy in that dynamic, then you understand you're bringing that then to the body. And so one of the things that is important for us to know, um, if we are not ourselves coming here healthy, to the best of our ability, I'm not saying everybody has to be tiptoeing through tulips and chasing butterflies, but if we are not walking in sin and we are doing the best we can to live the way God wants us to, we're only going to be strengthening our bodies. So when there's a need, somebody's going to say, I'm going to go do that. There there doesn't be any coercion or any frustrations. Or if somebody is is hurting, we'll we'll go to them. Oh, it's just awkward. Get over it. There's so much in the world that's awkward. Get over it. (laughs) Who cares? 
You see somebody hurting, love on them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. This is what we're called to do. You know, I, I want to make this clear because this has to do a lot to do with the walls of the church. You know, and um, I guess it was a couple months ago, um, I had done a teaching in Ephesians. Um, and I actually had a really great title that I didn't get to use. Hercules is laughing back there. It was too long and he couldn't type it up. So he, he made up his own title for, for my teaching. How dare he? <laughs> Hercules, I forgive you. Um, just kidding. But anyway, it was, it was ask not what the body of Christ can do for you, but ask what you can do for the body of Christ. That's my best John F. Kennedy. Anyway, so, but the, the idea was, and if we look at it, and I'll read it real quick to you, Ephesians four fifteen through 16, we're told to speak the truth in love that we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So it's so important that we are keeping our spiritual bodies healthy because you bringing your spiritual body into the, this main body brings health to us. If one of us is walking in sin, we all feel it. Oh, come on. No, we do. It's felt. And it might not be in a negative way in the sense of like, oh, oh, I can see that dark cloud looming over that person. Did you see when they walked in the door, there was just, oh, there was just this. No, it could be that we're not getting the benefits of their strengths to this body. These are the walls of the church. This is why the body, the healthy joints, if you, if you read that again, he's talking about we have to do our share. Are you doing your share? Am I doing my share? And you know, sometimes it has to be that somebody has to come up to me, has to come up to you and say, hey, in love, I don't think you're doing your share. I don't think it would be said like that because that would probably put everybody on a defensive mode. But, but hey, if they do, receive it. Receive it. Stop being offended. But we need to be walking in this way, in love. It's weird if we had, how many people, I'm not good with numbers. I'm going to say we have 50 people here, but I could be completely wrong. It would be weird if we had a body and there was 50 legs. Wouldn't it? No arms. No everything else. Just 50 legs running around. It would be chaos. It would be crazy. It would be ugly and weird. The world would be right. That's just weird. They're <laughs> peculiar. Yes, we are. God ordained we're peculiar. Um, but often that happens because we're not listening to God. What do you want me to do? What is my gift? What would you have me to do? You know, I got this thing in my life. I know I'm justifying the sin. Well, is it really sin? Ah, would I, uh, you know, but uh, it's affecting you. It's affecting us. It's affecting me. So this is Nehemiah's family, right? So we have Nehemiah's family is enlightened by his father, he being the comforter, and his brother being grace. So this is one man, one family who impacted an entire nation with the help of all the families of children of Israel. As we would, as you, if you read later on, we won't get to it today, but how he calls on all of the families to do their job, to do their part. Um, so, as we looked at it, Nehemiah means Jehovah comforts or the comforter. 
And if you remember in John 16, 7, Jesus said to his disciples, I'm going to go so I can send you a helper. Again, that's, it's translated helper, is translated comforter as well. Um, so Nehemiah is a picture of the Holy Spirit in this sense. The Holy Spirit is the one who's moved. We also know that he said at the end of the chapter that he's a cupbearer. And the cupbearer was actually a position of, of prestige. It was someone who was wealthy. They were influential. They understood the royal protocols. Um, they were wise. Um, they had an in with the king. They had favor from the king. It wasn't just a, a slave or a servant. This was somebody who was, had, had a lot of favor and, and had a lot of... Um, um, was, it, it was a, a very um, prestigious position. Um, and, you know, he would have been one of the few that the king would actually uh, would have trusted. Um, but in that, he was the cupbearer. And what did the cupbearer do? Well, the cupbearer was the one who would drink the wine to make sure it wasn't poisoned. And so in that, the Holy Spirit, and this is what we're talking about, the Holy Spirit's in the one who convicts the heart, right? He's the one who's saying to you, you know what? You need to lighten up on this or you need to get more serious about that. You need to be diligent. You need to be fervent. He's the one who's telling us these things in, our, in the quiet of our hearts. Um, in the... In uh, John sixteen eight, Jesus explains to the Holy Spirit that he was the one to convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So in this, not only is this that the, the Holy Spirit is the one who's going to bring our comfort, but as we've talked about many times, is, you, know, you, have, you need surgery for something that's broken, something that's you know, um, sick. There's a need there that needs to be extracted or removed for there to be health again. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's what the Lord is, is, is using Nehemiah in these ways as we, as we read on. So in looking at verse 4, So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept. And you know, one, one thing that came to mind when I read that too is that you remember that Jesus wept over Jerusalem. We saw, and I think it was Luke 19, um, you know, this was one of the most wept over cities in the world in all history, I believe. Um, you know, and Nehemiah was weeping because of the state of the heart of the people and because of the walls. Um, and Jesus wept because of the heart of the people as well. Um, this is why it's important for us that, you know, this has to be something that our hearts are, are, are moved our hearts have to be moved when we're hearing about, you know, shootings in a church or the things in Afghanistan or in the Middle East, the things that are happening that are so horrifying. And somehow we have been spared these things for now by the grace of God. But we need to be ready to endure those things. Are we that sold out for Jesus? I think if it ever got to that level, then we would see even a more, uh, a greater falling away of the church because they're just not willing. Are we willing? Are we willing to surrender to the point of death? This might be a little bit sensitive, but I believe that some are called to go through trials and tribulations and even death for the purpose of God's glory. Are we surrendered to that point? That's a tough one. 
You know, that is the complete denial of self. Lord, your will be done. Because um, you, can't, you can't pick up the cross and follow if, you don't, if you're not denying yourself. The rest of it just becomes religion. The cross becomes heavy. The following becomes arduous. Ugh. We have to drive to church again. Ugh. We're having a special thing. Ugh. Oh, they just pray too long. You know? Oh, there's a need. Oh, well, hopefully somebody will fill it because I ain't doing it. That denial of self is the toughest piece. But you know what? It's, it's, it's not by might. It's not by power. But it's by the Spirit of God that that happens and is overcome. So, anyway, he said he wept and mourned for many days. And I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Uh, Nehemiah is a man of prayer. He prays 12 times throughout the book. Um, and let's look at his prayer in verse 5. Um, he says, And I said, I pray, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. So he starts off with praise. And it's, it, this is probably a good uh, model for us to use. You know, Pastor Greg talked about uh, a couple weeks ago in Numbers, about who were the ones that went into the camp first to set up? Judah, right? And Judah means praise. There should always, our, our weapon is praise. When we go into any situation, even if you're in turmoil, even if you're in distress, and all that we can think about is, you know, God, you, you know, I have this situation, Lord, please, you know what? If you can, the best you can, start off with praise. Because then that refocuses, that brings back into alignment, that equilibrium, of our situation. The enemy wants to think that we're in despair. We have no hope whatsoever. And praise is going to remind us that we have the hope of Jesus Christ in us. A living hope. Death is not the end for us. Praise God. You know, we talk about, I don't want to be eaten by a shark or, you know, I don't want a crazy death, but death is not the end. We rejoice because we're only here for a moment. And we have this eternity waiting for us that he has prepared for each one of us. Have you ever thought about it? He's prepared something for each one of us specifically as our own. Maybe you'll have, you know, the posters that you like on the walls. I don't know. Maybe it'll be the colors that you like. I don't know how it's going to happen, but it's specific to you, specific to me. How awesome is that? So he starts off his prayer. He's in distress, remember? He is fasting. He is in anguish. And he starts his prayer off with praise. God, I praise you for who you are. It brings us back into the focus of, okay. And you know what? Your power, your might, your greatness. That also will speak then to the, the plea, the, the, the request that he's coming with. So... He does that in the next part of the, the, in verse six, he says, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now day and night for the children of Israel, your servants. So then he comes with his plea. And I guess the, the worship leader today, we were on the same wavelength because, you know, we sang that song, hear my cry, oh God. It's pretty cool when that happens, when the pastor and the worship leader are able to be in, in sync with the spirit as to, the message and what they sing, but hear my cry, O God. Attend unto my prayer. 
When my heart is overwhelmed, and it is overwhelmed a lot, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. You know, these are the things that we need as we go into this. This plea, God, please listen. And sometimes it's like, you know what? I know you're listening, but it doesn't feel like it. That's the reminder. No, Lord, please, please listen. Have your ear attentive to me. And he's always faithful. He's always listening to us. So then he goes into his plea. And then he goes into the confession. He says, and confess the sins of... Uh, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you, both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, the ordinances, which you commanded your servant Moses. It's very important that he here, and he could be a very faithful man, but it's very important here that he is saying we. And this is the importance of what I was saying earlier. We, as a body, have neglected the things of God. We are the reason why this country is in the state it's in. Plain and simple. We take ownership of that. We need to confess our sins of that. I think you guys get that point. Um, And then in verse 8... He says, remember, I pray the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. There's the warning God gave, right? But if you return to me, his promise, and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the farthest part of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Now these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. So in this, he's reminding God of his promises and his word. And we know God is not slack. God is not saying, oh, I forgot about that one. This is an activation of faith for us. Have you ever gotten to that trend where you're like, you know what, Lord, and you said this, and you said that, and you said this. It, it starts off as like the foundation. And you're saying, you know what? You're really speaking to your own spirit. You know what, Lord? And I'm, I'm going to forget not your benefits of all the things that you've done to me. I'm not going to forget those things. 2 Corinthians 1.10 says this, For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. 2 Corinthians 7.1 says, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh, and spirit, perfecting holiness and the fear of God. Our faith is ignited by the, the promises of God. We are reminded He is with us. We don't need to fear. He will never forsake us. We don't need to be afraid. And I think the, the bigger blessing that we're, we're looking for right now is that Maranatha is that He's going to come again for us. Amen? Amen. So, he ends his prayer with this petition for mercy for, for what he's wanting. So he says, Oh Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive and the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name and let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. For I was the king's cupbearer. 
So he's asking for this mercy for something to happen with the king. So we're going to read the next chapter uh, to verse um, 8. And, uh, and we're just going to kind of run through this just so we see a little bit of the, the, uh, the fruit of his prayer. So it says in, in Nehemiah 2, 1, And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, so this is four months later, so this is four months of, of praying. Um, this was March, April, so the Shizlev was, I think, um, what was it, December, January, or was November, December? I think it was November, December. November, December. And then this month is March, April. You know, their calendars are different than ours. Um, so this is four months later of, of prayer, of petitioning God, of fasting, of coming before God. Um, and so, and it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, so now we know who the king is, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in the presence before, in his presence before, Therefore, the king said to me, why is your face sad since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid. So in this, as he would know the protocols, the king doesn't want anybody in his court who's not joyful. I mean, you know, it's kind of funny, you know, seeing some of the the protocols of, of royalty and even the ones where, you know, you're not supposed to show your back. So people have to like walk backwards as they're bowing. And, you know, it, it, it seems silly but there's so many protocols that that are necessary and so in this nehemiah knew whether it was god that prompted him to be this way on purpose or he just couldn't hold it in anymore it's not saying to us but he is showing the 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 he's wearing his heart on his sleeve as we would say he's showing the condition of his heart which could be death the king could have ordered him to be executed because of that because of him coming into his presence like that you know it's kind of like do you do we always want you know we want to minister to people but if you are in a uh, habitual Eeyore, you're, you're going to be a drain, you know? And it, that's just being honest. There are people who are habitually down in the dumps. They could have the blessings of God, and they're pointing out, well, you know, I, oh, I heard you got a new car. Yeah, but the tires are going to need to be changed eventually. Um, you know, it's that kind of person. They're looking at the, the glass is broken, it's cracked, it's got a hole in the bottom, so it's not even half full. Yours might be half full, but mine's always empty. You know, that kind of personality. Um, so this was something that the king was not going to have in his presence. But there's a relationship here. So it wasn't just, you know, okay, off with his head. Um, so Nehemiah said, you know, he became dreadfully afraid in verse 3 and said to the king, may the king live forever. So flattery is very important to, in those situations. But then he gets right to the point. I kind of like this guy. I think he was probably from like the Philadelphia area or something. But he said, why should my face not be sad? I mean, this takes guts, he's saying to the king. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs lie waste and its gates are burned with fire? So the king said to me, verse 4, what do you request? So here's the culmination, right? Four months of prayer, four months of fasting, four months of, of Lord seeking the God for wisdom, seeking what, how, what, you've put this burden on my heart, Lord. How am I supposed to execute it? You know, if you remember, and I'm, I'm sorry, I don't remember his name. There was a guy that we had come speak here a couple years ago who was involved with the youth camps, uh, in youth camps. That was his heart. The Lord put that on his heart to do. And for 25 years, nothing came of it. 25 years. Some of us are like, I've been praying for three weeks and God hasn't answered my prayer. I'm done. 
He was praying for 25 years. And, and as, as he's pleading with God, why, God, why? The Lord said to him, because who's going to come alongside you? He hasn't even been born yet. We don't know the plans of God. And we're not, we don't necessarily need to know the plans of God. We need to know the will of God. And we need to walk in that. But we need to be surrendered to his will. So, as Nehemiah is praying, maybe the Lord's stirring him, hey, the time is coming. Or maybe the Lord didn't say anything to him. Just he was in prayer. Hear my cries, Lord. Hear my pleas. I, we don't know. It's not, it doesn't tell us. But four months of, of faithfulness, of fervent prayer, and now we see an opportunity. So the king says, what, are, what is your request? <laughs> so Nehemiah says, so I prayed to the God of heaven. So this wasn't a, the king said, what's your request? And he says, okay, king. Thou wast, O Lord, greatness of heaven and earth. Thy kingdom come. Thy he, it was like one of those prayers where you're like, oh, here we go. You ever have one of those prayers with God? Somebody comes up to you and says, how do I know Jesus? And you're like, here we go. Okay, Lord. Okay, Lord. You're ready? I'm ready? Okay, we're ready. You know, this was a in-season prayer. There are times for long prayers that you are pouring out to God and it's not before you're going to eat a, a, your meal and the dinner gets cold. That's not the time. And then there's those times of just, okay, God. Or, oh, this is it. So this was the time. So verse five, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Um, so if you, if you think about it, you know, maybe what comes to mind with this whole thing of, of okay, being ready in season, and okay, and the, and the prayer, okay, and now's my opportunity. If you think about it in, it was Matthew 10, 18 through 20, Jesus said to his disciples as he sent them out, you'll be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak for it will be given to you that, that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father who speaks in you. So whether you realize it or not, through our preparation time, through that time, those four months of prayer, the Lord is preparing Nehemiah. The Lord is preparing us in that preparation time. As we're drawing closer to him, he's feeding us. He's pouring into us. He's doing this work. Sometimes we don't even understand it. Why is there this conflict? Or why is this, why am I having issues here? Or whatever. The Lord's working something out. If you continue in it and not bail out and, and just give up, you know, this is not the, the, the God that is a, a puppet that does what we want him to do. We are to be surrendered to him. So in that drawing close, in that prayer time, the Lord has prepared him. So even in that here we go, whatever comes out, that's what God is, is bringing out. You know, I think Pastor Greg is the same way, same for me. You immerse yourself in a text. Probably I do a little too much. You immerse yourself in, in a lot of information. You're drawing from different places. And then, okay, Lord, you know, you, a lot of times you'll have a guide just so you don't go off the rails or, or go way too long. But you, you, in that, okay, the Lord's going to be, Lord, just draw it out. What do you want? And you, what's a blessing is that each one of you are hearing something different. Oh, you know what? When you talked about this, that really touched my heart. Oh, you know what? When you spoke about that, that really touched my heart because we're all in different places. But the Lord is the one that's doing that preparation. The Lord is the one is, who sometimes he says, you know what? Just forget the notes. Pour out in this area. Speak to that spot. So in that, we see in verse 7, 
um, the wisdom that, that Nehemiah has through this. He says, furthermore, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river that they must permit me to pass through till I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the king, keeper of the king's forest, um, that he must give the, me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel which pertains to the temple, for the city wall and for the house that I will occupy. And the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. So in this, we see the wisdom. Not only is it we have to be prepared in the, the test that we're, God has given to us, but then there's got to be that wisdom, right? There's got to be that form of organization. If he just said, if, if he said, okay, go, great. I'm going to go without asking for anything, then he would probably hit some roadblocks that he have to go back. It's about organization, really. That's why organization is so important. It's so important to have somebody that can look at things and say, okay, well, what about steps seven, eight, nine, and 10? You know, the blessing is we have, all have different personalities and some are creative and they just are the thought givers and they throw out thoughts and they can do and they don't have any fear of, well, what about this and that and the other thing that some of us might have. Some of us who are the ones that are holding the, the ankle as they're floating in the clouds, we're the ones saying, well, wait a minute, but what about this? God has us work together. It's not a detriment to either person. You know, I'm blessed that my wife is that way. She is, the, the, she is creative and she goes and she has all these thoughts. And my mind's like, okay, well, let me get out my spreadsheet. So where are we starting here? What are we doing that? Da, 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 and how about that? What about that? And like the, the, all these things come out of it. And I admire that. I wish I could be just like, Let's just go do it and see what happens. What do you mean see what happens? <laughs> I, I, that's why we, we were perfectly put together because in that, she pushes me to have more faith and more trust of what's being happening and not to be afraid. Yeah, but the Lord will take care of it. If we're being led by the Lord, the Lord will take care of it. Amen, sister, amen. So the point being here is that Nehemiah had that wisdom. Say, okay, I need letters to make sure I have passage because, you know, I'm... I'm a cupbearer walking through these, you know, these parts, and they'd be like, "Who are you? Where are you? What are you doing?" You know, and then I'd go back into the, and also, you know, what? I need timber, I need materials, so the organization part, the wisdom that God had given him to to think ahead in that moment, in that prayer, whatever it was, I would love to know that prayer. So I prayed, Nehemiah, what did you pray? We'd probably be kind of surprised, but anyway. But I love here in the end in here in, in verse 8 where he says, And the king granted me to, uh, them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Nehemiah was chosen for this task because he was available. You know, and it's interesting and, and, and to look at this as well. So Nehemiah with King Artaxerxes. We have Joseph was esteemed in Pharaoh's household to the point where the children of Israel were, well, they weren't children of Israel at that time. Where were they? They were the tribes. They were um, saved from famine due to his position with Pharaoh. And Moses was the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter. And God used him in his prestige and his, his position to lead the children out of Egypt. You look at Daniel had favor with King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon you know, to the point where he, they were allowed to continue in their worship. Um, we have Esther marrying King Ashuerus, um, who Queen Esther is actually King Artaxerxes' stepmom. So 
you see the providence of God. God has planted people in positions to do his work. And we fret about the things that go on in our world. How do we know that there isn't someone walking alongside our president right now? Don't answer that. But how do we know that God doesn't have someone positioned in that administration? The bigger question, though, is, are you praying for our president? Are you coming alongside him? And not just hell and fire brimstone conviction prayers, but that he would know God. I mean, this is the we part. We have neglected our nation, and that's why we are in this position, because as a church, we haven't done what we're supposed to do. We will gripe, we will complain, we want someone else to do something, but are we coming together as a body to pray for our president? He's not my president. Uh, let's get beyond that. Are we doing what we are called to do? Are we being faithful? If we are not, we're not a healthy body. I mean, we could hold up the mirror and really look at ourselves and see how sick we might really be. On the outside, we look great. On the outside, we might look wonderful in that regard. You know, but Jesus said to the religious that they looked like beautiful whitewashed tombs with dead bones in them, dead bodies. We don't want that to be of us. We don't want to be one of the churches that, you know, I know your, your, your deeds, you look alive, but you're dead. We don't want to be that church. We don't want to be that people. But not only is it a we for our nation, for our church, but it's a blessing to look at this and see the sovereignty of God. He can do anything. He's put someone in specific positions throughout history. And he can do it today. Some of us have given up, thrown in the towel, said, it's over, we're done, we're going down this road. And if you keep looking at some of the, you know, alternate media, which I do, it's all the same stuff. You know, it's good to have a balance. It's good to balance yourself. But there's always hope. And I'm not saying, as was, was prayed, we're not looking to go back. There's no going back. I don't want to go back. I want to I experience the Lord fresh and new today. Tomorrow, I want it to be fresh and new tomorrow. I'm not looking at the timeline of history and, and, and what's happening in our world. Yes, we're praying for those things. But that doesn't change me being before the Lord. That doesn't change you going before the Lord. Doing your duty, doing your part as the body for us to be healthy together. Amen? Thank you. We've all been chosen. Jesus said to his disciples in John 15, 16, you did not choose me, I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. Did you know that we did not make this decision for Christ? He's the one who chose us. We just answered the call. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 through 14 says, we are called to watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong, and let all that you do be done with love. So, Nehemiah was appointed for such a time as this to rebuild the walls of the city. Warren Wearsby says this about ministry. Kind of goes in line with what we, our, our phrase there, but it's a little bit different. And this is maybe, will help some of you with some of the things you're praying about. Ministry takes place when divine resources meet human needs through loving channels to the glory of God. I'll read that again. 
Ministry takes place when divine resources, that's him, not us, meet human needs. We have human needs. Through loving channels, that's us, to the glory of God. Nehemiah made himself available. We need to make ourselves available. So, in closing, I just want to real quick just go through this, what the importance of the walls. And we all know this. As Nehemiah is a picture of the Holy Spirit, and he's grieving over the state of, of the, the city and of the people, um, and it's broken down walls. And we know, too, we have, we have good and bad walls. You know, walls are meant to protect. Some people have walls up because they're doing self-preservation because of damage that they've gone through. Those need to be healed. You know, any of us can build a wall, but are we using the right materials? If you use the wrong materials to build a wall, like if I try to build a wall and I find some stones and use some paper and some yarn, and that's not going to be a great wall. You know, we need to tear down those walls that are, are ungodly, not of him, that are broken, and we need to rebuild them in, in, in the healing hand of God. But the importance of this is to understand, too, of these good walls is that 1 Corinthians 6.19, we're told that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. And therefore, in Ephesians 4.30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God whom you, have, whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So that understanding is that we are the temple of God. We need to walk around with that seriousness. I don't think we often do. You know, when, the, when we're whatever, you can fill in the blank. I usually bring up the driving on the road because I think that's where most of my sin occurs. But, um, you know, that idea of that we, are, we have the Holy Spirit in us. If we are, and it doesn't have to be an egregious sin either. Sometimes we think of the big things. If you walk away from someone, the Lord says to you, pray with that person, and you walk away, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but you're grieving the Spirit. You know? Yeah, but I feel awkward. Get over it. Get over it. The best way to get over awkwardness is just to push through it. I heard somebody say one time about, you know, we're all called to... to um, evangelize. We all, we all are called to evangelize. That freaks some people out. Oh, I don't know how to, I don't, I don't, I don't have the right words. I'm, I'm always, I'm, all these things, excuses that come out. I heard him say, maybe sometimes you just need to, if you're in a drive-thru and you just need to yell Jesus and then drive away. He said, but at least the name is being used. And I thought, in my head I thought, well, some people use that in a different way than we use it. But he said, you never know what they'll stir up in somebody. They might have conversations. Did you hear that guy just yelled Jesus in the drive-thru? What kind of, what is, that's ridiculous. These people are crazy. Maybe the person they're talking to says, you know what, the Lord, the name Jesus has been on my heart. That's weird. Why would somebody yell Jesus? We don't know. We don't know what the work of God, how he's going to move and how he's going to work. So it's important for us to understand these things and to know that the Holy Spirit is within us. So where we would start in our lives to inspect, to rebuild preserve the walls of our faith. The first place we need to start is our soul or our heart. Those are interchangeable. Um, Proverbs 4.23 says, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it springs the issues of life. So how often have we given our hearts and our souls to things of this world only to be beaten up and bruised and battered and worse for the wear? That's why it's so important for us to check our walls and make sure there is no compromise if there's sin that needs to be siphoned out, then let it be siphoned out. But the importance of us checking those walls daily 
to make sure that they have the right materials that are building them up. The second place is the mind. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 5 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. The world and the enemy are continually trying to break down the walls of our faith and our mind. That's why it's so important that we um, fortify those walls with the truth of God. You know, as Nehemiah was doing with the promises of God, reminding God, but really activating his faith in that. Um, but it is our weapon. We know in Ephesians six seventeen through 18 says, and take the helmet of salvation, that's protecting the mind, protecting the head, uh, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. You can't build a wall on a shaky foundation. We know that. You know, Jesus said you can't build your house on the sand. It has to be built on the rock. Walls are the same way. That foundation, if your foundation is not in the word of God, then it's going gonna, it's gonna to crumble. That's how the enemy gets people. You know, I have people talk to me all the time about, well, God's not answering my prayers. Where is he? Or I've heard somebody say he, he must be, he must be busy or too busy. If, if your God is too busy, you have a very weak God. Because the God of the Bible created the heavens and the earth. Spoke it into existence. There is nothing too busy for him. The picture is, and the understanding of that then would be then, it must not be him, it must be me. So, we need to make sure that our, our walls are founded firmly on the truth and the word of God. So, and I want to say this to, to unbelievers, and this is more online because we're a family here, but we know there's others that listen, that those who are not believers, who are not sold out to, to Christ. You know, we're sitting here as a family. We love each other. We, we eat together. We laugh together. We cry together. We know we have a strength with one another. I know that I come here and I'm being prayed for and you guys are being prayed for. When we have needs, we're praying for one another. We have a family that our blood family is might not even be even close or maybe they are close distance-wise, but they're not heart-wise because they don't believe what we believe. It is such a blessing that we're able to come here. And I would, I would encourage young believers that you need that. You want that peace and that joy and that love that we're experiencing here? The world is not going to give it to you. The world is going to beat you up and it continues to beat you up. And as you believing lies and as you believing stupidity and believing things of God that are not true, you need to get in the word of God and get to know the God of the Bible who says, stop, I'm pleading with you to stop walking in that way. I'm pleading with you to stop living your life without me because I want to heal you. I want to bring you peace. I want to bring you freedom that you're trying to get in your own ways, in your own beliefs and in other religions that are going to lead you to hell. There is a hell. And you're going to be led there unless you have Jesus Christ in your life. The Bible says now is the acceptable day. Today is the day. This moment is the time to surrender to God. He said those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Call out to him. Cry out to him. This world for you, unbeliever, is going to get worse because you have no hope. Jesus Christ is the only hope. This is the hope that we live with as believers here. Our walls need to be 
founded by the belief that from the very beginning, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and earth. That's where our faith starts. And then it continues in John 1.1, where he says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and the word was with God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. And even to the end, to the very last, in Revelation 22, 20, 21, he says, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to be in your word. We thank you for this opportunity to come as a family. We thank you for the the work that your blood did to even have us in this situation where, Lord, we are loved and being loved by, Lord, you, by your body, by the works of your, your feet and your hands. We pray right now, Lord, that you would just challenge us, that you would work in us, that you would move in our hearts. It starts with each one of us individually. That we would inspect the walls, Lord. That we would make sure there's no infiltration or no compromise. And that we would build on those walls. And Lord, that we would build on those walls together. Iron sharpening iron. Encouraging one another. Lifting each other up. When one is wounded on the battlefield, that we come, we lift them up. We carry them, Lord. We pray for them. But Lord, we can only do this by your spirit. And so, Lord, we ask for these things. We ask that you would heal the church. We ask that you would heal our nation and this world. Nothing is beyond you, Lord. So in the same breath of, Lord, asking you to come quickly, come, Lord Jesus, come. As you said, you are faithful and you will come. We also pray for a reprieve for our loved ones who don't know you, who are on their way to hell, Lord who have been fooled into believing that their ways are right, the ways of this world, and it's only leading them to destruction. Lord, please have your way in us. Purify us. Pour out your spirit upon us, Lord. We give you praise, Lord. We give you honor. We praise you for the works of your hands that we see, Lord. Help us to have eyes to see them. Please come to our aid, to our rescue, Lord, for the things that we've been praying about, those things that are on our list that we pray for you, from you daily, Lord. I pray that we will just keep knocking, keep seeking as you told us. You told us to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. You told us to delight ourselves in you. You told us to commit our way to you and to trust in you. All the other things are up to you, God. So we come, we surrender to you. Have your way in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.